Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Let's get started. I wanted to take just a quick moment to thank you all who continually support and listen to James Miller Lifeology. I have been so blessed and honored by your continual support. I wanted to make sure that you don't miss out on anything exciting that's happening over here. So make sure you sign up for my free newsletter at jamesmillerlifeology.com. I have a great show for you today. I'm going to help you analyze your current coping strategies by reviewing your five senses. I'll also be interviewing author Alicia Hill Merceau, who shares her latest book, Finally Me, Thanks to Vertical Sleep Distractomy. She shares her struggles with and how she overcame obesity and shares the unhealthy coping strategies she had developed. I have some exciting news. Did you know that I'm on the radio three times a week? You may hear me on the same station on Tuesdays at 1.30 p.m., Fridays at 9.30 a.m., and Saturdays at 12.30 p.m. You may also hear me anytime on iHeartRadio as well as on all the other major podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many others. Simply search for the show name, James Miller Lifeology. Are my coping strategies healthy? That's a really good question we all should ask ourselves. What once worked when we were younger, or maybe what worked a few years ago, may not necessarily work today. When we're children, we learn how to self-soothe. We learn how to manage whatever strong emotions we're feeling. And as we get older, those behaviors change and we start to do something different. However, it's important that we realize that every self-soothing behavior or coping strategy comes from five components. And the five components are your senses. For example, your sense of taste, your sense of touch, your sense of hearing, your sense of smell, and your sense of sight. All of those senses are used to help regulate our emotions. And this is what I mean by that. For example, when we're children, many of us had our favorite stuffed animal or our favorite blanket, and we would hold onto that really tight. That's actually your sense of touch. Other times when we're sucking on our thumb or sucking on a pacifier, a lot of that is a sense of taste. And those are just a couple examples of some of the things we did based on our five senses. Fast forward to today. Have you ever been on a phone call with somebody and you really have to concentrate, you really have to think, and all of a sudden you look down from where you're sitting and you find that you're doodling? Well, that doodling is actually a coping strategy to help you really concentrate on what's going on. And that is using your sense of touch. You're holding on to the pen and that movement of the pen on the paper is helping you to focus or maybe even helping you regulate some of the emotions you're experiencing. Your sense of hearing. Think about it. When we're really struggling with something, sometimes some of us like to listen to music. As a composer, that is one of the things I love to listen to. The classical music is one of the most powerful types of music to listen to when it comes to regulating stress. Another version is our sense of smell. Many of us don't really use this, but did you know that your nose can recognize up to one trillion different types of scents? Meaning, if you smell something, it will induce a memory. And that's really how memory is induced, is through your sense of smell. And that's one reason why aromatherapy is so powerful, is because it induces many memories that we have of that scent. Our visual coping skills. Using our sense of sight. That is what we often do if we're trying to veg out and watch TV. We can be watching movies all day, and that really helps us decompress or unwind. And then, of course, our sense of taste. That is what many of us do when we overeat, or we taste something really good, and then we'll often eat more of it. We have all used our sense of taste when it comes to dealing with certain emotions. Many of us will eat ice cream or many other different types of things to help numb the pain. And the reality is that is a form of a coping strategy. So you think about this today. When you are overwhelmed with something, what do you do? Break it up into those five categories and then ask yourself, is it healthy for me? 
When you're pacing, if you're struggling, that is another version of your sense of touch. You're pacing, you're walking, you're, you're feeling the pressure on your feet. You may not even think of it that way, but you're feeling the pressure on your feet, which is helping you express yourself in a certain way. Everything we do has an end game, meaning everything we do has a secondary gain or has a gain that we want to achieve to bring our emotions back down to what is considered healthy. The reason why I bring all this up is many times when we look at our life, we don't really understand what we're doing or how we're dealing with stress in our life. So the more information you have, the more successful you'll be to deal with anything you're struggling with. If you find that as soon as you feel anxious, and it's really important for you to decide what does that feel like? Sometimes we don't know we're experiencing certain emotions until afterwards, but once you understand your body more, you'll automatically understand if the threshold, in other words, the baseline that you're experiencing of anxiety, depression, fear, worry, doubt, insecurity, all of those more powerful emotions, as soon as that's elevated a bit, your body will automatically tell you. As I've taught you before, your body always gives you clues as to what is going on in your life. So as soon as you feel these emotions, pay attention to yourself. What do you do? What version of these five senses do you use? And then you have to ask yourself, is it healthy for me? And then of course, if it's healthy for you, for example, pacing, doodling, watching TV, listening to music, even using aromatherapy, all those are very healthy things in moderation, of course. If you find that the outcome of some of those things you're doing in the long term, or even maybe in the short term is unhealthy for you, then you need to stop. So if you can figure out what your go-to sense of self-soothing behavior is, in other words, one of the five senses, then figure out the healthier version of that. This is wonderful information for you because when you are aware of this, it's going to help you develop healthier coping strategies as opposed to strategies you've used for years that in the long run are not healthy for you. So my question to you today is, are your coping strategies healthy or unhealthy? You get to decide what that looks like. This is great information for you to change your life. Did you know I have a YouTube channel? That's actually how Lifeology started. I have well over 155 episodes that I've created specifically for you. I do know that many people struggle with listening to a full 30-minute show. So these episodes are about three minutes long. Each episode will give you a practical tool or technique that you can practice daily to help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Simply go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com, or go to YouTube and search for my name, James Miller Lifeology. Alicia Hill Merceau battled with her weight her whole life and she hated the way she was living as an obese woman. So she made a change. Alicia opted for weight loss surgery and it changed her life. She is the author of Finally Me, Thanks to Vertical Sleeve Gastrectomy. Welcome to my show, Alicia. Hi, thank you. It's such a pleasure to have you on my show. I love to hear these transformational stories and I can't wait for you to share your story with my listeners today. Thank you. Me too. I'm looking forward to it. Now, this was a very drastic, but very powerful and inspiring change that you had in your life. And I would love for you to tell my listeners more about how you were prior to electing to this gastrectomy and what it did for you. So would you be willing to share your phenomenal story with us? I would love to. Thank you very much. Excellent. Well, why don't we get started then? So tell us, you know, in the intro, I was reading about how you were living as an obese woman. How is that for you? Because, you know, people who aren't obese or people who have a perception about what obesity is, it's often misconstrued or they just don't understand the emotional struggle or the self-esteem that someone who is obese, what they may have. So I would love for you to really share with us kind of what you're going through and how that really obesity really affected your life. Okay, thanks. Uh, so what I felt was mm -hmm. that it's almost like you're invisible, but at the same time you have a spotlight shining on you. Oh, wow. Okay. So you feel invisible because you're walking down the street and it's like people try to avoid looking at you in the eyes. People try to 
not look at you. And then at the same time, it's like they're staring Mm. and they're just because, you know, at my highest weight, I was over well over 300 pounds Mm -hmm. and I'm only five foot three. Mm. So and I carried all my weight in the center. Okay. So people would see that and they would be like, oh, my goodness. Some people actually thought that I was pregnant a lot, too. Oh, wow. Because I carried all my weight in my stomach. So you didn't really feel as though you were valuable Mm. because people didn't really give you the second look or they would pass you over like you weren't important. Mm. And I noticed that no gentleman would hold the door for me or anything like that. And now after losing 132 pounds, it's such a difference. Wow. And I def- yeah. And I bet and I definitely want to get to that in a minute. That's that whole difference in on how society treats people that are uh, maybe more slim. But I wanted to mm-hmm. go back to maybe your childhood. Did you find that you were an obese child growing up? Uh, no, but I did have an obese mother. Mm-hmm. So okay. what I've learned through this journey of mine is that I got my self-esteem from my mother. Okay. So I, I saw myself as a woman, how she saw herself as a woman. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that she didn't value who she was. She didn't mm. feel like she was important in society or whatever. And so she felt shame when she walked out the door. And so I would copy that and I would feel that way too. Mm-hmm. So as a young girl, I was on diets with my mom because my mother wanted to have somebody to share that struggle with. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that must have been very confusing, of course, as a child growing up and seeing this. And if, if, of course, if you weren't obese, it wouldn't necessarily make sense. But it does make sense that you would internalize that. And that would yeah. then be your self-esteem growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Because she was also my same sex parent. Right. Mm-hmm. So because yep. you identify with I her. learned how to be who I was as a woman, as a girl from my mother. When did things start to change for you? When did you start to be, gain weight? Um... Actually, I believe that it was after my first heartbreak. Mm. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're young and you've fallen in love and I was only 15 and falling in Mm -hmm. love, but I'd never felt pain like that. And shortly after that, I had lost a close family member. So you're struggling with losing a person that you thought you loved and then losing a family member that you loved. And it just, I felt so alone and I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. But what I'd learned was, watching my mom, you eat your emotions. Yeah. So then that's what I started to do. It is interesting that we all have a form of self-soothing behaviors when we're children. You know, some right. children will suck their thumbs. Some people will have a mm-hmm. blanket. Um, some people will cry. So there are different, many different ways in which those self-soothing behaviors uh, come about or mature as we grow up. And so there are actually five versions of our five senses. And so one of those self-soothing behaviors are going to be a derivative of one of those senses. So with that in mind, your sense, your go-to self, sense of self-soothing was your sense of taste. And with that, mm-hmm. then that leads to sense of food. So for you, and I'm, I don't, obviously don't know you, but anyone really who's listening to this, you'll find that people are more orally fixated when, when it comes to their sense of taste, which is their self-soothing component. So not to get too technical, but you'll find that those types of individuals, they're very communicative, but they can also express themselves in a way that can be really, really profound and other ways really damaging. So by no means am I stereotyping you and saying that's anything about you, but 
when we use our sense of taste, it, it then links kind of to a personality profile as well. So kind of complicated right. with what I'm saying, but I'll, expl- <laughs> I'll explain it later in, the, in my okay. synopsis. But it is okay. interesting because you'll find though that as you go, as you get older, sense of self-soothing behavior, it will mature and it will grow. And that's why people continually eat more and more and more is because mm-hmm. that's what they've trained themselves to do over and over and over again. Right. And that makes sense when you say the orally too, because I used to suck my thumb as a child. So oh, really? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that really makes sense because, you know, that's, that's obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, that's how your mom was as well. And then for that to be modeled to you, then it compounds it. And then that then becomes your go-to. So a lot right. of people who are listening to this, if that is, you find that you do overeat, you want to look at your self-soothing behavior because anytime you feel anxiety, anytime you, there, the threshold of emotions that are difficult for you, anytime that threshold is exceeded, you will automatically go towards eating. So it's hmm. good to be to regulate your emotions, be aware of that. The more awareness you have, the more successful you'll be not to automatically induce that self-soothing behavior of eating. Now, I say that in a very trivial way because I know the struggle is real, but I want to have people have a little bit of information about that because the more information we have, the more successful we will be to overcome anything we experience. Right, perfect. So I want to go back to this thing, this whole aspect of feeling in, invisible, but yet feeling like people were looking at you. So averting them, averting their eyes at you. But then when you looked away, they would maybe furtively look at you. How was that? I can't even imagine in the sense of how minimizing that must feel because your own self-esteem, whatever you had, and then it's compounded by these furtive looks that people may have, or these, these looks of judgment they gave you. I'm sure overall that just kept pushing you down further and further and further into your own self sense of self-loathing. It did. Absolutely. And, you know, my husband during that time had started to lose a little bit of weight. So we were opposite looking, whereas we were both overweight for a long time. Mm -hmm. And that was noticed. But when he was getting thinner and I was remaining heavy, then the looks were even more because Mm. people would go, why are those two together? Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm sure put pressure on your marriage as well. Not by either one of you, but just that external pressure is going to influence the marriage, the dynamic of the marriage. Yeah, because he's starting to have his self-esteem and feel confident. Mm -hmm. And then he notices the looks more too at me. And he, yeah. So regardless of how much he loves you, because of course he does, but in that as well, there is going to cause a form of tension. Sure. Right. How did you come to the point of saying enough is enough? I need to have this change. So I like to describe it, and I actually talk about it in my book too, that Mm -hmm. I felt like a balloon that was blown to its capacity, Mm -hmm. and I was either going to burst or I was going to deflate. So I had to choose which one I wanted. And so I knew that I didn't want to burst, which for me meant I didn't want to die. I was very fearful of that because I have two children and a husband and a life that I love. So I decided that I needed to deflate. Yeah. Okay. And I love that analogy because it, I think a lot of people can understand that in a very primitive standpoint, a very, um, and the level of, you know, for some people who may not be overweight, but if they've eaten so much and they feel like they can't, like they can't move and they hurt. Um, and like I said, this is a very prosaic, I suppose, version of what you're experiencing, but people who have been in that position where they feel like, oh my gosh, I hurt so much. I can't move anymore. I feel yeah. as if it's the, I, you know, and that's just from overeating or whatever it may be. But if that's something you felt all the time, as a person sitting here listening to you, I can't imagine how, it, it, I guess you can't imagine how that must have been so painful for you all the time to continually live in that feeling. Yeah, because you have the physical pain and worse than that, you have the emotional pain. Mm-hmm. So the two combined is just like, yeah, you feel like you're very close to death. Yeah. And then it goes back to 
feeling overwhelmed and then that goes back into your into your um the overeating or how you self-soothe and so it's this vicious cycle yeah and because you feel ashamed you Mm -hmm. feel ashamed that you've allowed yourself to get here you feel ashamed of your body you feel ashamed that you're not a good parent for your children that was my biggest shame because i was like i'm setting a bad example for my children i'm not being the best mom that i could be for Mm -hmm. them and Yes, it was just awful. You know, when you see a lot of these weight loss shows, and I think they're absolutely wonderful, but I think many people who, who maybe not be overweight, who are overweight, they don't see what goes on behind the scenes. You know, you have a whole group of individuals who are helping these people succeed, and then you have these amazing transformational stories at the end. And then people who are trying to make a change, who are really, really trying to make a difference, they don't have that support. And so I think it really compounds it as well to say, how are these people doing it? What is wrong with me? And so it's, I think, I think there's kind of a two-edged sword when we see some of those TV shows, because like I said, you don't see what happens on the other side. You don't hear right. that wanting to give up. You don't hear that those other wounds, emotional wounds that may be opened up and, and people are struggling. So I'm glad to hear that a, your story specifically today is going to help those individuals who may be struggling to know that they are not alone. There is an answer for them. Yes, absolutely. And it may or may not be weight loss surgery. It could be something else for them. Exactly. And I know for you specifically, you chose a vertical sleeve gastrectomy. Why don't you tell my listeners more about what that is? So what that is, is they go in laparoscopically, which means they don't cut you open or anything. They Mm -hmm. use these tools and they cut out um, 80 to 90% of your stomach. Mm -hmm. So what you're left with is they call it, it looks like a banana. So Mm -hmm. it's a little banana sleeve. And this just means that um, when you eat, you eat small amounts of food. Mm -hmm. So when you first come out of the surgery, you actually can't even really digest water or anything like that because your body's adjusting to how small its stomach is. Sure. And so one of the things that is very important is that you don't eat and drink at the same time because what that does is that expands your stomach. Mm. Okay. And so you have to always make sure that you eat first or drink first and then wait 20 minutes to half an hour and then you can do either the other one. Oh, so then if it were to expand again, even though they took out 80% of your stomach, would it, could it eventually expand back to where it was before? Absolutely. And sometimes even bigger. My surgeon actually told me that he's redone surgeries a few times. Really? On people. Yes, because they didn't follow what they're supposed mm. to do. And another thing is you cannot have carbonated beverages because uh, the bubbles in the sure. carbonated beverages also expand your stomach. Well, that makes sense. Sure. I'm sure those mm-hmm. people have drank before. I understand that. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. you know, I, as, a, as a psychotherapist in my practice in DC, I actually had many people who were going through these types of surgeries. And so they would usually have to see someone like me or get a, get a, um, an authorization of a letter saying that they've spoken to a therapist or psychologist and kind of work through some of those issues. Are they a good candidate for that? So I had to, on this end, I've actually written those letters for candidates like that. Did you have to go through that process as well in Canada? Uh, no, actually you don't. You oh, interesting. Do have to go th- no, you have to go through a lot of the um, um, internal stuff. So you go and see an endocrinologist and she just checks to make sure I had to see a sleep therapist to make sure I didn't have sleep apnea, mm-hmm. which I actually did end up having severe, severe sleep apnea. And I had no idea. Oh goodness. Yeah. And so what they do is they make sure that when you have the surgery that you're wearing your machine while oh, you're okay. under. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so I didn't, but what I had an amazing surgeon and surgeon and what he told me was he said, I want you to go home and I want you to write your life story. Oh wow! And he says, every painful moment, everything. 
and then try and relate how you used food during those horrible moments Mm -hmm. or those rough times in your life. And that was pivotal in for my success, I believe, because just being, I've always been a writer. I love to write and being able to go home and do that. And so I started actually blogging just because I felt like, okay, this is a process that's important, Mm -hmm. not only for me, but I believe for many people out there, because I've talked to so many people who are contemplating whether or not to have this surgery. And so I blogged the whole process. Wonderful. From almost the beginning to up to now. And when you wrote that, I'm sure it was very cathartic for you as you had those aha moments, mm-hmm. as you realized, wow, I've really linked this, uh, going back to the self-seeing the behavior, I really linked this self-seeing the behavior with anxiety, with fear, with Absolutely. shame, with doubt. Yeah. When you're in your moments of clarity and you're writing it out, then you see what you wish you would have known mm-hmm. and you go, okay, I could have done this differently. Sure. And then when that problem arises again in a different way now, you're like, okay, so I'm not going back to the old way I used mm-hmm. to think. What's the new Alicia think? How is she going to handle this? Exactly. And that's, yeah. you know, literally the new Alicia as you've lost, what you lost, what, 130 pounds? Is that what it was? 132 pounds, that's yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, so literally the new Alicia. <laughs> yeah. what, what is she going to do? So that's absolutely wonderful. Let's yeah. tell me more about the book specifically. What is in the book? Is it, is it a narrative? Is it a memoir? What, what is it? So I believe that I wanted to write this book as one friend talking to another. Mm -hmm. So it's just me talking and each chapter of the book, I've actually linked a blog to it or um, put one of my blogs at the beginning of each chapter. And I've sort of made each blog related to the chapter. And um, because I wrote 50 some odd blogs during this whole process, because it was almost a two year process between starting the surgery and getting the surgery or going to pre-surgery stuff and getting the surgery. And so it's about what I've learned. It's about the process. It's about sharing um, those deep, dark parts of me. Like I made this book as open and raw and vulnerable as I could because I knew that that's what people need mm-hmm. and exactly. that's what people like to hear is the most honest part of yourself. Yes. Because that, that goes back to that whole thing with me saying with people on TV, we don't necessarily see that raw side of them. <laughs> so yes, this is exactly. great. Yeah. So I'm sure it's mm-hmm. so relatable to so many people. Mm-hmm. I believe so. Yes. I'm very, very proud of it. <laughs> yes. You know, when you look in the mirror today and you reflect back on who you were prior to the surgery, what goes through your mind? Um, Honestly, I have a confidence now that I don't think I've ever had. Oh, that's wonderful. And like I said at the beginning, too, that I saw how my mother was a woman. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she's ever had confidence. And so I didn't know where to search for that. But what I've learned it, during my process and my journey is that it comes from doing things you didn't think you could do. Mm. And that's where your confidence yes. is gained. And so going through this surgery was a huge, huge milestone in my life. And then losing the weight and then having people uh, ask you questions and feeling like you could be someone that can be helpful to another person has been a huge impact on my confidence. So when I used to look in the mirror, I used to downplay everything. And Mm -hmm. I actually had this sort of dysmorphia of seeing who I was but not seeing myself as bad as I was. Oh, uh, sure, which is, which is normal, which is normal, sure. 
Yeah. And so now when I look back at pictures of myself at my heaviest, I was like, how come nobody told me Mm -hmm. that I was that big? Because I honestly never felt like I was that big. Yeah. Yeah. And I also don't like, I know that I've lost 132 pounds, but I really try now not to go by size of clothing or weight because I spent so much time doing that. And I feel like that was affecting my confidence and self-esteem. And now I just go by how I feel. Exactly. How I feel mostly. Yes. Because yeah. I think if someone uses just one metric of pounds, like on the scale, well, there's so many other things that go along with it. You know, there's body right. fat percentage. There's, there's so mm-hmm. many, so many other things. And mm-hmm. many people only look at the, at the weight, but they don't realize that that number can really hold someone hostage, really hold them prisoner to a life that isn't really fulfilled because they're only focused on one specific number. And at the end of the day, it's just a number. So when you go exactly. back to how you feel, how your clothes fit, how sexy you feel, how attractive you feel, how smart you feel, whatever those things may be, those are so many more metrics you use for life, for joy, right. for peace, for living a life that is completely fulfilled. And so I'm really right. so glad to hear that you obviously use these, these additional metrics as well. And that's why you've been so successful at it. Right. Yeah. I, I think so too. And, and knowing that you are out there and living your best life now, like mm-hmm. it took me 38 years to get there, but now I'm there and I want to live every moment to its highest. That's wonderful. And just enjoy it. Now, how long yeah. ago did, this sur- did you have the surgery? Um, I had my surgery November 23rd, 2015. Oh, so, okay. It hasn't been that long. That's amazing. And how do you feel afterwards? Uh, you feel kind of different because you know that <laughs> you've had this surgery and your stomach's gone. So that mental part of it thinking, oh, wow, that's weird. I'm sure. <laughs> and then the physical part of it, of uh, the feeling like every time you have something to eat, like your stomach is expanding, then you get worried. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, okay, am I going to make this stomach go big again? Am I not chewing slow enough? And so you do have to work through that a little bit. It took well over a year for me to be able to drink water Mm -hmm. and not feel pain from drinking water. Because they do say that water is the hardest to digest of all things. Sure. Yeah. Because it'll sit there until your body absorbs it. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, if my listeners would want to experience more about this, maybe understand more about it, is there any particular website that you would endorse or that you can think of or just a simple Google, Google search? Well, I have a website. It's actually called marsobooks.com okay. and on it is my book and um, a couple of videos that I've posted and I've been on a news show and yeah. Oh, okay. So then we would, so I'm going to direct then my listeners. So definitely go to Marceau Books. It's M-A-R-C-E-A-U books, B-O-O-K-S.com. So Alicia, if my listeners would like to buy the book, may they also buy your book, Finally Me, Thanks to Vertical Sleeve Gastrectomy on your site as well? They can buy it on my site and they also can buy it on Amazon.com. Oh, wonderful. So Alicia, perfect. So what I'm going to do, Alicia, I'm also going to put your book on my site, jamesmillerlifeology.com. So if my listeners, if you're not able to find it on Alicia's site or you're not able to remember her website, marceaubooks.com, simply go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com, and you can search through my storefront there and I will have Alicia's book, Finally Me, Thanks to Vertical Sleeve Gastrectomy. Alicia, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on my show today. Thank you so much for inspiring us, for giving us all your wisdom and really being transparent with your story. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.
I also want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with us today, or please go to my website where you may sign up for my free newsletter, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, or you may enroll in the Lifeology Academy where you can take self-directed courses which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. If you'd like to personally work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, simply visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support and I'll talk to you soon.